Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Today on Building the Broncos, Carl and Nick are joined by special guest Jordan Reed of Inside the Pylon and Climbing the Pocket to discuss his thoughts on the Broncos' 2018 draft haul, as well as what he thinks the team is getting in free agent quarterback and ex-Minnesota Viking, Case Keenum. This is Building the Broncos. Welcome to Building the Broncos with your hosts, Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler. Hello there, Broncos country, and it is once again time for another episode of Building the Broncos. I am your host, Carl Dummler, and with me as always, my co-host and good friend, Nick Kendall, and we are both very, very excited to have NFL Draft and Minnesota Viking analyst, Jay Reed, on the show today. Fellas, how's it going out there? It's going good, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's good over here. I'm ready for fall already. You know, I was complaining forever about how cold it was. The winter that never ended, and I feel like we missed out on spring complete, completely. So, September, go ahead and get here. <laughs> Definitely ready for some football. Uh, looking at these OTA play-by-play analysis, it gets a little boring because you're like, oh my gosh, they're not even in pads. But yeah. It's at least a little something for football. But anyway, the Building the Broncos focus is all things pertain to your Denver Broncos as it relates to the NFL draft and building the team. With Nick and myself being Draftaholics, we'll be bringing you fresh insight and analysis each and every week in every single episode from scouting reports, player value scheme and personnel fits, and general general draft-related banter. Follow myself on Twitter, at MHH, as well as follow Nick, at NickKindleMHH. And be sure to tweet us any questions or opinions you have, because we live for talking Bronco football. You can also follow the podcast Twitter account, at HuddleUpPod. Make sure you check out ours and our co-writers' written content at milehighhuddle.com, a part of sports or 24-7 Sports, an affiliate of the CBS Sports Digital Network. We know you listeners are as football, draft, and Bronco crazy as we are. So please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without your listeners. So as a call to action, please go and take the time to go to iTunes or Spreaker to rate and subscribe to let your voices be heard on how you enjoy the show. Well, Bronco fans, as I've already said, we have a a wonderful treat for you with a great draft analyst and Jordan Reed joining us here today. And another big plus of having him is there might not be another person out there that can help us as Bronco fans better understand what we're getting in Case Keenum and maybe where he needs to to see some extra work. But let's just start off with the, the Broncos draft today and... Jordan, I guess let's just overall, just looking at the Broncos draft, we'll, we'll go individual players here in just a minute. But overall, what do you think of this Broncos draft? I thought it was really good. And the one thing that I found interesting was at the top, a lot of people thought they maybe were going to take a quarterback, maybe get that guy of the future to sit behind Case Keenum for a year or two, just because he's on such a short term deal. Maybe they thought Elway 
we'll probably move on from Paxton Lynch or at least bring some competition in for maybe a quarterback of the future, but they didn't. They stayed true to their board, getting Bradley Chubb. I love the pick. And one thing we know about John Elway is that he loves those pass rushers. We've seen that in in the in the present with Von Miller already in-house, and he's invested another first-round pick in Shane Ray as well, and he had no problem with investing another first-round pick in Bradley Chubb. So I loved what they did at the top of the draft, just pairing Bradley Chubb alongside Von Miller and even having guys behind them in Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett, who's a, who are also two very talented pass rushers as well. I thought they did very well. And I guess that takes it. A- Kicks us off right to Bradley Chubb, edge rusher from North Carolina State. There was a lot of talk that he's potentially a better fit in a 4-3, 3-4, though with hybrid fronts these days. you know, Starting to see a little bit more blurring of the lines there. What do you think about Bradley Chubb being selected to the Broncos, even though they already have a group of pass rushers like you mentioned in Barrett, Ray, and obviously Von Miller, his fit with the 3-4 and how you would see Denver using him? Yeah, so what I tell a lot of fans as far as the exact front, that they play don't necessarily pay attention to that because it's just what they start off in or what their base front is throughout a game defensive coordinators will switch up various fronts and personnel that they want to run throughout a game and that's something that we've seen with the broncos as well they want to get as many pass rushers on the field as they can just because they have a plethora of them and like we mentioned before alluded to before you have guys like Shane Ray uh, who had a down year last year but he is very talented he was a first round pick for a reason you can get Bradley Chubb, Von Miller and Shaq Barrett all on the field at the same time even if it's not a third down situation if they want to run like a NASCAR package or something like that where they want to get some supreme speed on the field with all those guys at the same time I think you will be able to do that so I'm not necessarily concerned with Chubb's fit because he played a 4-3 at NC State I think he's able to transition to a 3-4 because he's a guy that I won't necessarily call him an elite talent but he's a step below that and I compared him to Everson Griffin not just because I'm a Vikings fan but he's a guy that compares very favorably to him he's very scheme versatile and that he can be that 4-3 outside line or 4-3 defensive end or 3-4 outside linebacker or a 5 technique depending on what type of personnel that you want to have on the field Uh, what I love about Bradley Chubb is that He's a supremely good pass rusher, very violent hands, a guy that can transition speed to power in an instance, and that's where he made his money at NC State. So that's why I think the comparison to Everson Griffin is very fair because they have very similar skill sets and upside. Being a guy who's watched a fair amount of Everson Griffin and Bradley Chubb, what makes them, besides the speed to power and everything, what makes them such an apt comparison and what can Chubb do to improve his game? I mean, he's never going to be the level athlete that a Miles Garrett or Jade Davian Clowney is on the edge, but what can he do to improve his game to take him to that next level? Yeah, no, I think he needs to add a couple more moves to his repertoire. He really is limited as far as go-to moves, but what you saw throughout his career at NC State, he did, he did get better every single year and he did add a couple moves each and every year, but it's a step up in the NFL now and as these offensive tackles and offensive linemen start to go against him and he gets older in the league he's going to have to add some more moves to his repertoire I thought it could be a little bit better against the run but he is very good against the run but I think he needs to be a little bit better as far as setting the edge more violently with his hands and his power but overall I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a star maybe not from day one but it wouldn't shock me at all if he if he's a guy that gets eight plus sacks as a rookie yeah, that, that was my next question was, what, what do you expect from him as a rookie? 
I think he can be an A-plus sack guy just because we know Von Miller is going to get a lot of attention opposite of him. So he's going to get a lot of one-on-one matchups. And you couldn't ask for more, especially being a rookie coming into the league, playing opposite of a guy like Von Miller, who is arguably the best pass rusher throughout the NFL. So it's a blessing in disguise for him being across from Von Miller from day one because there's not going to be a lot of attention on him. And that conference it's a, I mean, it's a pass-heavy conference, and I think he's a guy that's going to get a lot of opportunities to be a pass rusher because it's such a pass-heavy conference. And like I alluded to earlier, he's playing alongside or opposite of Von Miller, so he's going to get a lot of one-on-one opportunities. Looking at, at who was on the board there at five, was Bradley Chubb the, the best player the Broncos could have taken at that pick, or, or is there somebody that you maybe had rated higher, or do you think they should have gone with one of the quarterbacks? So, if you were the Broncos GM, if you were John Elway, what would you have done with that pick five? Yeah, I'm big on staying true to your board and don't just reach for a position if it's a need. Bradley Joe was there on the board. I thought he would go a pick ahead of them to the Browns, but they ended up taking Denzel Ward at that spot, uh, which was surprising to a lot of people. I don't even thought I don't even think Elway thought that Bradley Chubb would be there for the taking, but I'm big on staying true to your board and taking the best player available. That makes the most sense. And Bradley Chubb, without question, was the best player available on the board there at fifth overall. I have a question for you. Some people discuss this year's draft class in comparison to previous years. And we heard that, you know, guys being compared to last year's edge rushing class of Derek Barnett and Miles Garrett. Some said Chubb was better than Miles Garrett. Some said he's worse than Derek Barnett. Where would he fall in comparison to those two edge rushers from the 2017 class? He probably would fall right below Miles Garrett. I don't think he's as blessed or as physically gifted. And he's not as twitchy as Miles Garrett was coming off the edge as well. Um, he doesn't have that supreme get off like Garrett had either. But what Chubb does have over Garrett is that he's much stronger with his hands and he's much more violent with his hands. And that helps him being a run defender as well. Also as a pass rusher as well. Now, he's not a guy that has elite speed or elite bend around the edge. But he has some really good counter moves that he has to go to. And if you go back and watch him against Louisville, where he was just chasing Lamar Jackson all around the field. And that was by far his best game of his of his year last year. So just having that supreme hand usage, the violent hand usage. Now, like I said, he just doesn't have that elite speed or elite bend around the edge. But he's very smart, has a very high football IQ. So he's not as talented or as physically gifted as Miles Garrett was, but he's a step below that. But I think he's a much better prospect than what Derek Barnett was. Well, awesome, awesome. I'm really excited to see Von Miller and Bradley Chubb together. And last question on Chubb before we move on to the rest of the Broncos picks, unless Carl has anything. Let's say Chubb lives up to the expectations this year. You know, eight, nine, ten sacks, plays pretty well. Pair him opposite Von Miller. The next three years down the line, is this going to be the best edge duo in the NFL, or do you think Griffin and Hunter, Bosa and Ingram, or somebody else will be the the best edge rushing duo in the NFL? Yeah, I think they have a chance to be up there, but it just depends on how Chubb turns out. Now, I think they have the potential to be there, but those other two that you mentioned are just really special, and Bosa and Ingram and Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin. Now, three years down the road, I think it'll be Bosa and Ingram because of the age factor. Everson Griffin already being 30 or 31 years old this upcoming season, so he's expected to taper off a little bit as far as decline here in the next few years. So I'll go with Bosa and Ingram just because of the age factor, but it wouldn't shock me at all if it does end up being Chubb and Miller. 
All right. Well, then that moves us to round two, pick number 40, with Cortland Sutton, wide receiver from SMU. This was a guy that some had first-round grades on. A lot of people had him paired to the Cowboys, just thinking this is going to be the the perfect transition from Des Bryant. What what are your thoughts on Cortland Sutton, especially when it comes to what he can do as a rookie for the Broncos this year? I think it's going to be tough for him to contribute as a rookie just because he has so many guys in front of him. I mean, the top two guys are Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sam- Sanders. Everyone knows that. So they're going to get a bulk of the receptions, I think. But I think he'll be able to get somewhere probably between 20 and 30 catches on the year. I just don't see him playing a huge role if any of those guys don't get injured or anything like that. And he compares favorably to the guy that's ahead of him and Demarius Thomas, a guy that really doesn't have that elite down the field speed, but he wins in the intermediate and short areas, just has really good hands and above average route runner, but he needs to work on his releases off the line of scrimmage. That's the biggest problem that I had with him. And that'll come over time with really good coaching. But as far as a guy that's a go-getter can play above the rim and just box guys out and go get the ball, snatch the ball out of the air, that's what you're getting with Cortland Sutton. Where did you have him in your ranking for wide receivers? I had him as my third-ranked wide receiver, I believe. But that's off the top of my head. I had an early second-round grade on him, so he went right in the range. I expected him to. Who'd you have ahead of him? I had him as my fourth-ranked wide receiver, actually. I had Ridley, DJ Moore, and Anthony Miller ahead of him. Mm, Anthony Miller, interesting. Not No worries about the foot? None at all. I think he's a stud, man. I think he's going to be really good in Chicago. Yeah. The Bears might have had the best draft class this season, in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Unfortunate for you, not so bad as an AFC fan. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, Sutton's an interesting player. I've heard comparisons. I've even saw, I don't know, NDG scouting. I respect their work tremendously. I saw them compare Sutton to Terrell Owens. Now, that shocked me a lot. To me, when I watch him, I get more of an Alshon Jeffrey vibe, guy that lacks tremendous down-the-field ability but can play in the air, good body control, and can pluck the football as well as anybody. You know, can he be a true number one in the NFL? We'll see. He might be that borderline one or two, but I think he has the potential to be pretty good. Who would you compare him with? Are you not really in the comparison game for prospects? Yeah, I'm in the comparison game, but I think a lot of people get some misconceptions about comparisons because I use my comparisons from a playing style standpoint, and a lot of people take them as a career outcome standpoint, and I think that's kind of the fine line between the comparisons for some people, but for me, it's more of a playing style, an overview of the player, and a guy I compared him to is a guy you guys are really familiar with, familiar with in Brandon Marshall. Mm. He's a guy that you know plays above the rim, can go up and get the ball, not an advanced route runner, but if you ask him to attack the short and intermediate areas, I think he's able to do that. He's not a guy you're going to consistently ask to win down the field unless it's a jump ball situation on a go ball in the red zone or something like that. But I think he's a guy that compares very favorably to a guy like Brandon Marshall. Didn't somebody say that on this podcast that he compared to Brandon Marshall? Who who was that? I don't know, but his head might be getting pretty big right now. <laughs> that's, that's exactly who I said, too. Uh, younger Brandon Marshall, not who he is right now, although he did just sign with the Seattle Seahawks, I guess. So we'll, we'll see what he has left. But, no, I agree. That's a very good comparison. I think even, like, body type and what they yeah. bring to the field, their short area quickness, their ability to get open in that way, and just to, to make some tough catches look easy, but also having those – those drops that you're just like, what were they thinking kind of thing, just because they're trying to do too much on the field. 
So I think there's a, there's a lot to compare there to, to Brandon Marshall. I'm just hoping he's not the, the head case that Brandon Marshall was when he first came to the Broncos. <laughs> I don't think he's that. I've never heard anything bad off the field or read right. anything bad about, bad about him off the field. Right, right. I, I agree. So I, I think he's a cleaner Brandon Marshall, <laughs> which is a good thing for the Broncos. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm hoping for big things. But I'm with you. I don't know how much year one he's going to produce just because the two outside receivers are already taken with Sanders and DT. And it's just hard to find a place for him, hard to find those reps. And but that's okay. A year of growing, learning the NFL system, learning the NFL route tree, learning route running in particular. All those things bode well for uh, a good sophomore campaign for that kid. Absolutely. He's in a perfect situation as well. He's not forced to come in and contribute right away. All right, well, let's let's keep moving here to our, our third round then. Pick number 71 with Royce Freeman running back from Oregon. This is uh, one of the picks that we've kind of gone back and forth on of how good or bad a pick this was for the Broncos because a lot of us at Mile High Huddle were not exactly high on this kid. But do you think this kid has a future in the NFL to maybe even become a bell cow back possibility? I think this was a steal, guys. I'm not I wasn't a huge Royce Freeman fan, but I thought if he could land in the perfect situation, I think he could be very productive because at Oregon, I thought they ran an offense that really didn't suit his skill set. They're more of a zone type of offense, as everyone knows. They like to be up tempo and go as fast as they can. But he's more of a power back or a guy that runs between the tackles as opposed to an offense that forces their running backs to consistently run east and west as opposed to north north and south. He's a north and south type of running back. He's a guy that has a fantastic build. He's rock solid. I'm sure you guys have seen him plenty of times. He's had just thick arms, very strong base. Uh, burst onto the scene in 2015. That was his breakout year, but he kind of tapered off after that and kind of got lost in the shuffle a bit. Uh, he was once considered one of the better running backs in the country during that time. Um, I thought he should have, maybe should have declared for the draft after that year, but things didn't work out for him. Doesn't have that elite speed that you look for in a home run hitter, but as far as a guy that can just run between the tackles and be a threat as a catcher out of the backfield, I think he's a guy that can be that. A guy he reminds me exactly of is Jordan Howard from the Chicago Bears. I think they have very, very similar skill sets. Now, if you think about Jordan Howard, he's not a guy that's going to be an East and West type of runner. But if you ask him to run between the tackles and get those tough yards and, you know, maybe get a big pop here and there, I think he's able to do that. And I think he can be that for the Denver Broncos. And he steps into a backfield that, you know, has a lot of questions. Uh, Devontae Booker, we all know he has those injury questions and there really isn't a guy after that. So he's going into a situation where he can shine and he can be that starter right away if he does earn those reps in training camp. Yeah, that makes sense. Jordan Howard, I like that comparison a lot. I think he, personally from watching him, I think he runs with a little less power mentality than Howard does, but I think he has more potential as a receiver. So I'm excited to see what he can do in the Broncos power scheme. When they took him, I honestly was a little bit like, eh, a little let down because I thought this you could get running backs of similar value later on, and there's other guys on the board that I liked. But the more I watched him, the more I get the pick, and it, it really helps the Broncos year one. Comparison Comparing that to Cortland Sutton this year, who might not get the reps totally this year, I think Royce Freeman has a chance to have a very large role in the offense this season. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think he could be a huge contributor. I think right. NFL.com had him on their all-rookie team 
beating out some of the top running backs that were taken in the first and second round there. So they, they definitely think he has a good chance to start with the Broncos. And I think he's a very good fit to take over what C.J. Anderson was doing here for the Broncos. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now, I don't know if he's going to make a huge contribution like Saquon Barkley or, or Darius guys will in their respective teams. But I think he's a guy that definitely can be one of the better rookies overall during his first season in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And now's the next guy who's not going to, well, potentially not going to have a huge role this season, although he could beat out for that cornerback three spot. Isaac Yidem from Boston College, a, an interesting guy, played at the Senior Bowl this year, did pretty well there, had some tape that was pretty good, a press man corner. There's some press zone ability as well, but the off man ability is, at least from the tape that I saw, not there right now. Not a great straight line athlete, has some issues being a little bit too physical beyond five yards, which I think will get him in the trouble in the NFL. But overall, an interesting cornerback, one that I thought fit the scheme and one that I was very ecstatic about when they selected him with the comp pick. What do you think about Isaac Yadam? Yeah, he's a guy that I liked a lot pre-draft. I think I had a late fourth on him. So right about he that. went a little bit earlier than what I thought, but kind of close in that range. So yeah. I think he's a guy that fits the scheme perfectly. He has the length that you love to see in those pressman corners, which is exactly what the Broncos run. He is a bit raw. Still trying to figure it out a little bit as far as his technique. It comes and goes from time to time. But there there are some flashes of some really good reps of him just getting his hands in receiver's chest and being able to ride them to the sideline. So he is that press man corner that the Broncos do love. Um, He's a bit comfortable and seems to be more confident when he's asked to play man coverage as opposed to zone coverage. So he is a good fit for the Broncos smooth in his back pedal. And he understands exactly when to flip his hips and turn with those receivers, which is something that you love to see in young prospects as well. Uh, just not being tight hip. I think that's a, what a lot of young corners struggle with and just second guessing themselves on what those certain wide receiver routes that they're trying to mirror. And he's a guy that I compared to Bashar Breeland. I think that's a fantastic comparison for him. And they have very similar skill sets and their frame is very built the same as well. Did you get a chance to watch any of Yadam, his special teams play? Because that is something that if he doesn't start cornerback three, cornerback four this season, he's definitely going to get a chance to make contributions as a special teamer. Yeah, and that's something that I actually wrote down in the scouting report, and that's why I thought he probably would go earlier than what I predicted he would just because of that value on special teams. And not only can he have that value on special teams, but he can be a serviceable backup early on in his career as well. He can be that number three or number four corner in a rotation. And let's say let's say someone suffers an injury or anything like that, I think he would be able to step in and be just fine. Awesome, awesome. Any glaring weaknesses in his game that you think can be improved upon over the duration of his rookie contract? His ball production was a bit limited. I think he only had three three interceptions in his four years at Boston College, and you would like to see him maybe get some more interceptions or cause some more for, forced fumbles in that area. So he's not a guy that's going to get a lot of interceptions because he's just not comfortable catching the ball. Uh, out of the air, but he is able to deflect the ball out of the air, but you would like to see him turn it into turnovers a little bit more than what he does. Uh, I think he had a shoulder injury as well. He missed some games in 2015, but that was a little while ago, and he had some nagging injuries up until the draft as well. So, But I think he's a bit past those nagging injuries, and it wasn't nothing major outside of the shoulder injury in 2015 from an injury standpoint. I I have to laugh because that Catching the football thing, just, just it's like that red siren going off in the, in the back of my mind when I'm thinking of this guy because 
senior bowl, I don't think there was a quarterback that was in in better position on more plays than Yadam, but he didn't have a single interception. He <laughs> dropped every single one of them. Yeah, that's and, the knock on <laughs> Yeah. And I think two of his three interceptions were off tip passes. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's not a not a huge strength of his. I doubt that's going to improve drastically. You, you don't all of a sudden become a great catcher of the football. Yeah, that's true. But and I mean, I'm not big on cornerbacks really getting a ton of interceptions. I really just see it as an added incentive. But if they're able to get those pass deflections and knock the ball down, I'm completely fine with that. And like I said, I just see interceptions as an added incentive. And I don't really knock guys for having very limited ball production. As long as they're keeping their receivers from catching the ball, I'm completely fine with that. Right. That That's always job number one for a cornerback, not right. interceptions. I always look at uh, at Peters now for the Rams. Yeah. He, he goes for the big play sometimes a little too often. He, he's a good cornerback, but it also costs him because, I mean, he'll, he'll allow six or seven touchdowns a season because he's trying to go for the interception. So. Yeah, he's a huge gambler, but sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. That's just that's the way it goes sometimes. Right. Well, moving on here to our, our fourth round picks. And, and this is where I think we, we kind of find the, the heart of this draft where the Broncos really added some, some great depth to the lineup. But we're starting with pick 106 with Josie Jewell, inside linebacker for Iowa. And, and before we, we get to the player, are you, since you're a Minnesota fan, are you a Big Ten fan too? Are you a, a Minnesota Gophers fan? Or? I'm not. I'm, I'm actually a Florida State fan. Florida ironically. State. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm a huge Seminoles fan. Okay. Do you live in Big Ten country? I do not. I actually live in North Carolina, which is ironic. Everybody's like, man, how did you end up a Vikings fan? So I was a huge Randy Moss fan growing up. And, you know, when he went along or he went on and moved on to a different team, I just stayed with the team. Okay. Okay. Good to good to know that. Well, we, we have a big time Iowa fan and Nick on this show, if you didn't <laughs> know, following his Twitter. And uh, he's a big Josie Jewell fan. But I, I guess as an outsider looking in, what, what do you think Josie Jewell brings to the team day one? Well, before we even get started on Josie Jewell, I just want to go ahead and throw this out here. Noah Faint is a stud. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to get you started. I don't want to get you started. So yeah. stay yeah, on Nick, Josie you, Nick, are you still with us or did you, you pass out there for a second? I needed to go like change my clothes or something. I don't even, I don't even know. Like that's, yeah. that's my dude. He's an absolute stud. I got a chance to watch him this weekend. I was in shock at how good he is. You but, know who his uh, you know who his coach is, right? I do not. Uh, it is Brian Ferentz, who was the tight end coach for Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez during those Patriots two tight end days. Wow, stock up. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's gonna be he's a mismatch weapon. I haven't seen many tight ends like him. I can't wait to see how he does this year. He's a freak. But on the subject of Josie Jewel, no problem, man. Um, On the subject of Josie Jewel, I'm a big Josie Jewel fan. And what I told a lot of people about Josie Jewel is that he's not a guy that's going to look great in shorts and a T-shirt. He's a guy when you turn the lights on, he's going to be flying all over the field. He has a nose for the ball. He just loves being out on the field. And 
he tested very subpar at the combine, and I expected that because he's not a guy that's an overly great athlete, but he was the heart and soul of that Iowa defense, and he was a program changer. And I don't necessarily think he'll be that for the Broncos, but as far as a guy that can be a great depth piece in the middle of their defense and a guy that can just fly around on special teams and make plays on every single special teams unit, I think he'll be able to do that. They're talking about him at OTAs. Granted, you never want to take OTAs you know, too far. Some of the stuff is obviously misleading because it's the media there and they're selling it to the fans. So there's got to be storylines and whatnot. But Josie Jewell's been one who's come up multiple times by his defensive veterans in interviews. They've been saying that that Josie kid is quite special. So I've actually been trying to be skeptical. I'm, I try very hard not to be biased. But I said that I was, would be surprised if Jewell was a starter this year for the Broncos behind Marshall and Davis. And there's some talk recently, um, maybe people you know too excited about the rookie class, but that Jewell could push Todd Davis for a starting spot. Do you think there's any way Jewell could be a starter this year? And if so, you know, the strength there is obviously probably playing that strong side inside linebacker spot opposite of Brandon Marshall. But is there a chance he could be a solid starter this year? Yeah, I mean, why not? He's one guy I would never doubt just because that's what he was at Iowa. A lot of people doubted him. And he ended up going in with the fourth round. So he's a guy I definitely could see coming in and contributing right away. And one thing we do know is that he has a nose for the ball. He's a tackling machine. And his stats were just ridiculous at Iowa. So He's just a football player, and I hate using that term because (laughs) it's so status quo, but Josie Jewell is just the definition of a football player. And like I said, he's not a guy that was going to test overly well or look good at the combine, but once he straps that helmet on and lights turn on, he's a guy that just makes plays all over the field. Absolutely. Well, keeping it in the Big Ten here, the Broncos took their second wide receiver with their next fourth-round pick in Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State. And while Saquon Barkley, obviously and deservedly so, got most of the, the Penn State hype this from this season, Deshaun Hamilton was a very good player in his own right for that team. Kind of a, an inside-outside guy. Not a great athlete, but did some stuff with the balls in, ball in his hands and a great route runner. And this is my take. I think Carl's been there with me as well. But I think year one, Deshaun Hamilton has a better track and skill set to make a year one impact than Cortland Sutton. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Now, the biggest knock on him is just catching the ball. And I know yeah. that that seems like a really huge thing for a receiver, and it is. I don't want to say that or sit here and act like it's not. But if he's able to figure out that part of his game, I think he can be really special because as far as the route running ability and being able to create separation, there probably wasn't a better receiver in this draft than him outside of Ridley, him and Ridley were probably the two guys that were able to create constant separation against man-to-man coverage. But you talk about a guy that's just outstanding on the field and off of it as well, a multiple-time team captain. He had a long career at Penn State. I believe he started there in 2013. That was his first year there. So he's been there for a while. He had an up-and-down career when he was there. But the back half of his career, he did finish strong. And His stock really went up at the East-West Shrine game. That's really where his pre-draft stock took off. And then the senior bowl, he was really good as well. But you saw some of the weaknesses in his game. They kind of reared their head again as far as him catching the ball. But as far as a route runner, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, this this was honestly one of my favorite picks the Broncos made just because that slot receiver was exactly what they needed. And Hamilton spent pretty much, what, 90 95% of his college career in the slot. So it's going to be a seamless transition for him, I think. And just the, the, the wide receivers that I think transition 
earliest in the NFL are those that are great route runners before they get there. And for me, Hamilton fits that bill. I think he's a smart kid. I think he's a hard worker. And I just, I I see him being one of those guys that could get 65 catches, 700, 800 yards in his rookie season. Yeah, I definitely could see something like that. And just his ability to consistently separate and route running is something but that's the hardest thing to teach young receivers, especially if they don't have it already in their repertoire. And like I always say, I just think it's a natural gift that's given to guys at birth. It's just not something that you can develop over time. And if you have that, I think you're already winning half of the battle. And that's something that Deshaun Hamilton already has. Now he needs to clean up his catch reliability. That's the biggest flaw in this game right now. And I think over time, that's something he can't improve upon. Absolutely. Well, again, sticking in the Big Ten here with the Broncos' fifth-round pick, we have Troy Fumagalli, tight end from Wisconsin, a guy that played pretty well. He's actually coming off an injury, so he hasn't been participating in OTAs, but pretty good career at Wisconsin, A one of the few pass-receiving options for that offense, I guess, though, because they're pretty much pure power, ground and pound, which is breaks my heart to watch because I love it, but I hate it because, again, Iowa Hawkeye fan compared to the Wisconsin Badgers, but Fumagalli always stood out watching those Wisconsin games. Going back, I think there are some obvious physical limitations with him. He's never going to be an overpowering guy. He's got a skinny base. I wish he'd be a little bit better of a blocker, especially considering he's coming from Wisconsin, but I think he's going to be an overall contributor and a solid overall player, but probably not a year one impact guy. What were your takeaways from scouting Troy Fumagalli? Did you get a chance to watch much of him, and what do you think about him going forward? Yeah, I watched pretty much most of the games that he participated in this last year that he was at Wisconsin, and I'm right there with you with all points that you made. I thought he was an average athlete. His hands are – I was really surprised with how good his hands were. He's a guy that has a really good catch radius, and he's a guy that really bailed out his quarterbacks on a a lot of bad throws. A lot of bad throws. A lot of bad throws. (laughs) A countless number of times. I thought he was pretty decent overall as a route runner, very nuanced and creative in his route stems. Um, He understands his limitations, and that's what I really noticed most about him. And he's just – he's not an overly great route runner. Like I said, he's very – good as far as understanding his limitations and he understands how to attack man coverage and understands how to sit down in zone coverage which was really good catch radius was very good um the one downside to him though is he's not going to provide you much after the catch what you notice about him is that whenever he catches the ball he immediately gets tackled every single time so that's one of the downsides to him he doesn't offer much yak i like to call it or yards after the catch and like you alluded to earlier He's not a great blocker as well, so he's more of a one-dimensional type of tight end. Yeah, and it's surprising, you know, going into it, Wisconsin, he's got to be a great blocker, right? right? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, he he can hit a point. He does pretty well getting to the second level, I think. He can seal a guy on the edge, but if you're asking him to power up with a right tackle or a left tackle and double down on a guy, that's just not his game. Yeah, I'm right there with you. All right, well, we've still got a few more picks here. Sam Jones, the sixth-round pick for the Broncos, interior offensive line from Arizona State, kind of a guy that surprised some of our analysts here because not really a scheme fit for the the power scheme for the Broncos, but an interesting guy nonetheless and a Colorado native. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. I think I didn't think he was a great scheme fit for the Broncos, but as far as the late-round you know, flyer type of offensive lineman, I thought he was worth the shot. Uh, because he does show some good things on tape as far as, you know, having really good feet. I thought he had pretty good feet for the most part, but the biggest thing with him is just sustaining blocks. He just wasn't able to consistently 
able to hold on to those blocks at the point of attack. And I thought his deficiencies were hid a bit in that zone scheme. And yeah. that is one of the biggest reasons why I struggled seeing the fit with the Broncos, because in a man scheme that really you have to really hold up in those one on one blocks. And that's just not what his game is predicated upon, especially with that 31 inch arm length. Right. That is, Yeah. Like he's going to be selling Willy Wonka bars or something. Crazy to say that about a six foot five, three hundred pound guy, but thirty one right. inch arm length for a guard or a center is insane. Like that's right. that's shorter than most quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm with you there on on the scheme fit, and, and that's something I think a lot of Bronco fans miss on. Everybody keeps thinking with Kubiak back, they're going to go to the Kubiak scheme, especially Case Keenum being the quarterback that he got undrafted and and all these kind of things. And uh, I think people kind of forget we have Bill Musgraves as our offensive coordinator. And for a lot of his career, he's been a power run scheme kind of kind of coach. So I, I don't know. I, I just – that's something that keeps bothering me about Bronco fans is this idea of zone scheme being what's going to come back. There's going to be a mix, of course. But Sam Jones, if he's going to make it with this team moving forward, it's, it's definitely going to be with him spending the entire year in the weight room, getting himself a lot stronger – especially in the hands and just being able to hold on to those blocks. Yeah, definitely. So you guys probably thinking that he'll be a practice squad guy for the most part. That's, that's where I have him. Yeah. I feel like he's going to take the, the Matt Paradis route to the Broncos. Yeah. And I mean, they fit perfect. They were both six round picks, both a little bit on the smaller side of things. And then, yeah, get a year on the practice squad, a year in the weight room and just see what they can do year two and beyond. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Well, our second sixth-round pick that we had was Keyshawn Bieria, linebacker of Washington. And this was, again, kind of – if I have any complaint about the Broncos draft, I guess it was kind of maybe some of these closing picks just because they were kind of a little bit of a head-scratcher on what they're going to bring to the team day one. But uh, how much have you gotten to watch Bieria, and, and, and what are your thoughts of him, especially compared to his counterpart there at Washington? That was a, another – uh, kind of highly thought of linebacker that that went to the Raiders. Yeah, I was a bit mad about him. That kind of describes my whole vibe about him. I thought he would test a little bit better than what he did at the combine, considering he's six foot, two hundred and thirty pounds. I thought he would test a bit better than running four seven nine and having a thirty and a half inch vertical jump, because on film he. Really really shows some explosion as far as a guy that just gets to the ball really fast. A guy that can, he, what you love about him is that he noticed what's going on in front of him. He's a guy that has really good closing speed. You see him just hounding ball carriers from time to time. So has a really good sense of urgency as well when he's able to get to the ball carrier and notices what's going on in front of him. But like I said, I think his testing numbers kind of knocked him down a bit because he has some really good intangibles as well from an off-the-field standpoint. But it'll be interesting to see exactly how he does in his future with the Broncos. Yeah, a guy that I really didn't get to watch too much before the draft because, you know, later-round prospects. And when I was watching Washington tape, I was watching that defensive line. Not only Vea, but Greg Gaines as well as a guy interesting for next year. But, yeah, Beria, interesting guy. Probably more of a practice squad type year one, but – can't hate the depth for a guy that can contribute special teams. Closing out the draft here for the Broncos, seventh-round pick, the transfer from South Carolina to Arkansas, running back David Williams. 
Any thoughts on this one? You think he's going to make the Broncos 53? Because there's an undrafted free agent who the fans hope gets in over him. <laughs> the Philip Lindsay guy, I'm absolutely. sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are excited about him. I honestly didn't get to watch much of David Williams, and I don't want to give you guys a false perception about him, so I can't really comment too much on him. The biggest thing, I mean, a power runner, one cut, downhill, but really, really, really surprising as a blocker. Really good blocker. So probably won't make the team. But, I mean, Broncos have opening for running back four and a couple spots on the practice squad as well. So hopefully he doesn't get poached by some other team and go on to be successful because <laughs> that's always uh, frustrating to see. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, undrafted free agents of note here that we have. There was a couple other guys we had, but the main two that we still have on the team because uh, Latulale retired – is Jeff Holland and Philip Lindsay. Do you have any thoughts on these two guys, and are they going to make the 53, potential, potentially adding on to the Broncos' really good run they've had recently of finding undrafted gems? You know, Chris Harris Jr., Shaquille Barrett, C.J. Anderson, who just recently left, all undrafted free agents. you think you, any of these guys have a chance to be add on to that list? Yeah, I was really surprised that Holland went undrafted because – I mean, I really like the upside that he has. He's only been a one-year starter, but he's participated in 40 career games at Auburn, and I thought he flashed in every single one that he's played in. He was stuck behind Carl Lawson, who had a fantastic rookie year last year for the Bengals, but once he got his opportunity to start, I thought he shined. Um, What you notice about him is that he has really, really strong hands, and what you see is when he goes to the point of attack, you just see the guys he's engaged with. You just see their heads snap back every single time, whether that's as a pass rusher, when he's at the arc, when he's trying to bend up the edge, or as a run defender at the point of attack. It, it's just impossible for offensive linemen to get their hands on him. And what you love most about him is that his sack reduction increased heavily from 2016 to 2017. I believe he only had two, and I think 2017 he had 10 or 11. Don't quote me on that, but it was a significant jump. So what you see is that he's getting better and better each and every year. So I was a big fan of Holland coming out. I actually had an early fifth-round grade on him yeah. because I did have some questions. Um as far as, you know, why was he only a one-year starter? I know Carl Lawson was ahead of him, but just why was he only a one-year starter? And is he a one-year wonder? You know, that's the biggest thing about prospects who only have that one great year as a starter. So I think that may be the biggest reason why he did end up going undrafted, but I'm really interested to see if he sticks in Denver. Yeah, he's definitely got some competition ahead of him, but Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray are on the last year of their deals, so – there, there is a spot there for him if, if he can take it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we still have a little bit to get to, but first we want to say thank you to our great sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. All right, Jordan. Well, honestly, the section that I am most excited about of this entire show today is your thoughts on Case Keenum. The Broncos recently made a run at Kirk Cousins, although never officially made an offer is what they've said. Although, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in the the non-tampering period where there's plenty of tampering going on. So who knows what happened during that time? But the Broncos instead go with Case Keenum. You guys now have Kirk Cousins. And there's a lot of excitement in Dove Valley about Case Keenum. You know, he's a guy that is familiar with Gary Kubiak, some of these Broncos in here. And this is the first time in his entire career since probably Houston that he's come into a situation where he knows he's the starter. 
He had a good season last year. Granted, he's an older quarterback, one year of success or a little bit less than one year of success, but great season last year and a guy that can really help stabilize the Broncos quarterback room, especially after the last two seasons of, I'll just call it as it is, very sad play from Simeon, Mark Sanchez, and Paxton Lynch. Uh, no offense to your Vikings t- trading for Trevor <laughs> Simeon, but uh, thank you for the pick. We are we are happy to, you know, nothing but respect for him. Good luck, but happy to uh, to close that door. But anyway, thoughts on Case Keenum, what he did last year, and what he's going to bring to this team, and, you know, just an interesting dynamic there because he played well last year. Broncos made him a pretty wealthy quarterback, you know, only what 18th, 19th highest paid, but paid him pretty good money. And you're coming from a perspective of, okay, we're the team that – had to him, had a seriously good run with him, and moved on from him for Kirk Cousins. So what are your thoughts on Keenum? Is he going to be successful in Denver? What makes him successful? What are they going to need to him and need for him to be successful? And is he beyond a two-year option for this team? Yeah, and the NFL is just a crazy business, man, because they signed Keenum in May, I believe it was, and it just was one of those signings that nobody thought about and everyone knew that he was going to be the backup coming into the year. Everyone knew that Sam Bradford was the guy he was coming off one of the better years of his career and really his first full healthy year as a starter. So Keenum just was really insurance and we really thought he probably was going to get cut because we had a backup named Taylor Heineke who looked very promising coming into last year, but he suffered an unfortunate foot injury where it's just a crazy story where he put his foot through like a glass door or something crazy like that happened. So that just (laughs) explains the quarterback situation in Minnesota prior to last season. But what you're getting with Case Keenum is you're getting a guy that's just a lovable locker room guy. Everyone loved him in the locker room here just because of his story, being an undrafted free agent and having to work his way from the bottom all the way up. And what I loved about Case Keenum last year was that he played as if he had zero pressure which is what you're getting with Case Keenum, a guy that's been a journeyman all throughout his career, and he's never had that sense of love or affection from a team, and he even didn't get that from Mike Zimmer last year. That's well documented. Mike Zimmer never really claimed him or named him the starter because everyone thought Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford was going to come back and take Case, but week after week, Case just came in and performed. He's a guy that, not a great arm, but he's a guy that can be efficient, not a great down-the-field thrower, but he had a phenomenal year throwing the ball down the field last year. It was an outlier year, um, one of his better ones overall. But as far as a short and intermediate thrower, a guy that gets the ball out extremely quick. And Case Keenum's best asset is his ability to improvise and create plays off script. And he really saved Minnesota a lot of times because they had some injuries along the offensive line. Riley Reef was banged up from time to time. And obviously Mike Rimmers was banged up. He missed about four or five games, I believe it was. And they were starting a young guy at right tackle by the name of Rashad Hill, who was just learning the ropes and the way to go in the NFL. And he really hid that from time to time with his ability to improvise and create plays off script. Not overly accurate, but he's a guy that can put the ball where it needs to go. And what you have to have with Case Keenum is you have to have guys that have really good catch radius because he struggles placing the ball adequately. You're going to have to have some guys that are being able to make some catches outside of their normal catch radius because he's not a guy that's always going to put it exactly where it needs to be as far as in stride in front or behind the guy exactly where it needs to be so I think he's a really good fit with the Broncos because 
it's a team that's really not predicated on having an explosive offense, but they need a guy that doesn't turn the ball over, which is what Case Keenum does. He doesn't necessarily turn the ball over. Now, he's going to make some bonehead decisions from time to time just because of his mentality. And I'm sure you guys saw that in the NFC Championship game against the Eagles yeah. where it just it just went off the rails there. And if you're able to sustain a lead, a seven to ten plus point lead with Case Keenum. He's a guy you can get through games with, but if you're asking him to come back from huge deficits, he's not the guy to be able to do that. But if you have a strong running game behind him and you combine that with a really good defense, and then you add Case Keenum into that mix with some guys that have some really good catch readies on the perimeter, I think he's able to he can be a successful. And I think that's exactly what Denver provides him. How do you think the Broncos offensive system, offensive playmakers right now compared to that of the Vikings from last year? Well, I don't think Thomas and Sanders are as talented as what Diggs and Thielen were because I think those guys are two of the top 20 receivers in the NFL right now. And that's not a knock on Demaryius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders. I think both of those guys are supremely talented. And then you add Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton into that mix. I think the Broncos have a better overall receiving core. And that's just speaking on the two rookies coming in and being what we expect them to be. But at the top, I don't think they're as talented. But I think the skill sets of the Broncos receivers, I think they really cater to Case Keenum's strengths and they kind of massage his weaknesses because all those guys are able to catch outside of their normal body frames, which is what is required of Case Keenum type of receivers. So, and that's what you're exactly what you're getting with Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and even a guy like Cortland Sutton, whose game is predicated upon playing above the rim. So, I think it's a really good mixture. I know this is going to be kind of a tough one to really judge because the Broncos, especially on the offensive line, have kind of mixed and matched a little bit. Um, but how would you rate the 2018 Broncos offensive line compared to the 2017? Minnesota offensive line that, that Keenum had to to stand behind. Do you think they're comparable or do you think this is going to be where he's going to get be, be getting hit more often than what he was there for Minnesota? How do you think those that really matches up there? I think the Broncos are probably a step better, but probably not much, maybe a couple spots. I think they're both probably middle of the pack, honestly. Uh, I think Garibaldi probably – you guys would know more than me, but I think he had an up-and-down year last year. Uh, Ron O'Leary was a really good signing, and Matt Paredes, we all know how good he is. Um, Elfline struggled from time to time a bit. He was a bit up-and-down. Reef and Rimmers were really good when healthy. Uh, Easton was okay, but he struggled from time to time. But I think the Broncos are overall more talented up front than what the Vikings have. And they're a bit more consistent than what they were a season ago as well. So the, the big question that pretty much everybody in Denver has right now, why did Minnesota move on from Case Keenum after such a great season? Why would they go out and spend so much money then to go bring in a guy that honestly probably outplayed last year? I think the biggest thing is because they knew that they were going to lose Pat Shermer. And I don't think they thought Keenum could replicate what he did a year ago. And they plateaued towards the end of the year. And they thought Case Keenum couldn't get them over the hump. I think that's the biggest reason. And a guy like Kirk Cousins, I think he's a bit more talented than what Case Keenum is. And his upside is a bit more. And getting guys like that that hit free agency, you really don't 
get that a lot. And I've made this comparison a lot. Kirk Cousins was really the first type of quarterback with that status that's hit free agency healthy since. I mean, we haven't seen that in a long time. We haven't seen a quarterback like that hit free agency. Uh, the name I use it doesn't even come to mind right now, but we don't really see those type of franchise quarterbacks hit free agency a lot of times. And with the quarterback luck that Minnesota, Minnesota has had throughout the years, they just couldn't let this opportunity pass them up. Absolutely. Well, I guess it comes down to this. Two years from now, is Case Keenum still the Broncos quarterback or are they in the position they are like they were at the beginning of this season, still looking for a long-term franchise quarterback? And by long-term, I mean five-plus years. It's tough to say right now uh, because we don't really know exactly how he's going to play in this system, but I think it'll be fine. He has, he has some really good surroundings, um, and that's as long as your supporting cast is good around Case Keenum, I think he'll be fine. So I would say yes right now because I'm just not a big believer in Paston Lynch and what he's shown to this point. And Chad Kelly obviously is an unknown, and I don't see him more as being a backup in his career um, over the long haul. So, yeah, I would go yes. Uh, no Justin Herbert or Jake Fromm hype? A little too early for that? Well, Got to see how they play out. <laughs> hopefully you guys aren't in position to pick those guys. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm of the mindset I'll take one bad season for getting a, guaranteeing a, a guy. Of course, it's the draft. There are no guarantees. They could just as easily bust. But if you can get that quarterback, man, changes things. Definitely, especially being on that rookie contract. Exactly. Man, it's you should come on more often. You're preaching the same stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like I'm hearing an echo. Yeah. The echo chamber is strong in draft Twitter, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Building the Broncos. You can find Jordan on Twitter at jreid, R-E-I-D, draft scout. And make sure you do draft nuts follow him because he's one of the better draft Twitter followers out there. Also, make sure you check out his work on Inside the Pylon and his podcast, Climbing the Pocket. I saw that you recently joined Inside the Pocket or Inside the Pylon, but you've been working on Climbing the Pocket for a bit. What What is the newest coming out for you? So I'll have an article coming out this upcoming Thursday talking about quarterback era parents and should veteran quarterbacks be required to mentor these younger quarterbacks that were taken or drafted this year? And the, the situation that I highlight is some of the quarter the rookie quarterbacks this year with the Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson situation and the Ben Roethlisberger and Mason Rudolph situation, just looking at the different situations. Interesting. Well, I'll be sure to check that out. That sounds like a really interesting topic. Yeah, I'm excited for that. You can also find Carl on Twitter at Carl Dumbler MHH and myself at Nick Kendall MHH. Also, make sure you head on over to Mile High Huddle, a new affiliate of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports Digital to find ours and our co-writers' articles, not just related to the draft, but all things that pertain to your Denver Broncos. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a comment. Your support can help us continue to bring you our Denver Bronco deep dives. We aren't just here to bring you the news, but in-depth analysis each week from team building, game planning, the draft, and bringing you 365 days of covering the Denver Broncos. You can follow the Huddle Up podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes and for Android users, Stitcher, as well as check us out on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at Mile High Huddle and at Huddle Up Pod. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and reach out to us as we love interacting with you fellow Bronco fans. For Jordan Reed, Carl Dumbler, I'm Nick Kendall wrapping up another episode of Building the Broncos. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week. Go Broncos. Mile High Huddle. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.